Please we have a seat. So nice to have everyone with us. Really nice to have a few guests as well, first-timers. It's really, really good to have you with us. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'd be very grateful if you kept the Bibles open that you have in front of you. We're going to be looking at this punchy little passage which has such practical value for us. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We thank you, our Father, that you have not left us alone, but that by your Spirit-filled Word, your Son is present with us even this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us and increase in us the work of your Word, and we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm a failed dieter. I have been for many years. I know that's obvious. I'm into yo-yo diets. I try one one day, the other another day. My father wanted to help me. And one of the things that he got into, he reads a lot of stuff, kefir. You come across kefir, Anatolian goat's milk that combusts. It's very good stuff. He bought me, took me to Harris Farm in Lane Cove, and he bought me 12 bottles of this stuff. Yeah, I kept it in the garage. I wasn't really consuming it as quickly as you're meant to. Uh, one day, I thought, okay, it's a sensible idea. I should take this kefir. I went over, opened it. It exploded. It's like champagne, they say. have goat's milk all over the place. And I tried to, tried to cap it down. Not very successful. Next one, exactly the same. Um, suffice it to say, it hasn't worked. I think the trick is to put less in. That's the idea. From the ridiculous to the sublime, Acts is a little bit like kefir. (laughs) Acts, which is God's unstoppable plan for the advance of the kingdom of his son, like exploding liquid, starting in a small way in Jerusalem, but conquering the world. By the end of this book, we will be with Paul in chapter 28 as he is under house arrest ready to speak to Caesar, the most powerful man in the whole earth, no doubt to preach the gospel to him. This gospel which has changed the world and turned it upside down. And you see that growth dynamic happening in our verses. It tops and tails our passage, chapter 6, verse 1, disciples increasing in number, chapter 6, verse 7. And the word continued to increase, and disciples added and added and added the advance of the kingdom of God. And yet at the same time, this unstoppable advance is opposed. There is a person who's trying to put a cap on the growth, and that person is Satan. Chapter 5, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias who puts that money before the church and lies about what he held back. Why did Satan fill your heart, Ananias? Outwardly, just a an ordinary thing, but actually behind it, the enemy. Also, the enemy behind the persecution, the suppression from the religious authorities, the power brokers of the day. Stop preaching this Christ that you're filling the whole of Jerusalem with, the hand of Satan. And here again, we find Satan trying to put a cap on the unstoppable advance of the gospel of Jesus. And it is in a very, very mundane, practical way through a division in the church that risks distraction 
from the focus on the word and prayer that without direction could actually scupper the advance of the kingdom. And so a very practical text for us as a church, you see, the kingdom will advance by the word of God. It's advancing all over the world. Don't believe the skeptics. It's happening everywhere. This gathering is an example of it across the world. But not in every individual church. For if we don't heed what is being said here about the means of advance, well, then we won't be part of that tremendous advance. I'm confident that we are, and I pray that we will be more and more. But we need to listen to what God says. And so three points. First of all, in the advance of Jesus' kingdom through the church, one, division cannot be avoided. Division cannot be avoided. Look with me, please, to verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, or literally the daily service of food. There is a danger that we have rose-tinted glasses about the early church, and we think it was a kind of utopia. You might be led to that because a few chapters ago, we heard that they were of one heart and one mind, how they had everything in common. But soon we discover they're just like us. They're sinners. They're limited. There has been the sin with Ananias, but here again is another threat caused by a division. So in verse 1, things are going well. The life course is pumping and full. Visitors are coming on Sunday and they're staying to learn more. But then there's a complaint by one group. The church in Jerusalem is made up of Hebrews, that is natives to Jerusalem who spoke Aramaic or Hebrew. And also Hellenists, those who were part of the diaspora, who had gone into the Gentile world and picked up some of the Gentile habits and come back to Jerusalem, who were probably slightly looked down upon by the Hebrews. And verse 1, the widows of the Hellenists were neglected in the daily distribution, in the service of food. They were particularly vulnerable, the widows, because without a husband in that society... They were economically disadvantaged. Chapter 4, the beauty of the community, not a needy person. Such a contrast to the world outside of that time, especially the widows being cared for. But it seems that the growth is outstripping the administration of the church family life. And as they find they're a bit short of food, those on the meals team who are Hebrews give seconds to the Hebrews' widows, but don't give the announcement to the Hellenists. And a complaint arises, verse 1. And therefore, we need to recognize that in the advance of the kingdom of Jesus through the church, division will be there. It cannot be avoided. It's not a sign of an unhealthy church. It's probably what just happens, in fact, as churches grow, as the kingdom advances. There will be friction and inevitable division. The division cannot be avoided. The issue, did you notice, is about material goods. We've already had the issue of money in chapter 5. This is a variation of that. It's about things. It's about need. I don't want to give you all the gory details, but even in my short time here, it's been such a privilege, but it has been about finances and money so often that the tensions arise. 
This is a normal thing. Another thing to observe is the issue is favoritism for one group as against another. And again, that is something we need to be conscious of. God willing, as the gospel advances and people come in, really important that we don't favor those who are like us. Jack Starman, who is one of the student ministers, complains to me because he's so frustrated. He says, Australians say to me, we're all the same. We all play cricket. No class system here. You know, the English is so obvious that they are stratified into every single different class. But the Australians say, we're all the same. We just play cricket. There's one particular brother who keeps on saying this to him. And Jack is frustrated. He says, no, there's obviously differences between the low North Shore and the West and so on, whatever he says. And he says, you know the test? Ask so-and-so, this dear brother, what he thinks of rugby league. It wasn't this brother. I asked another one the same question. Who are you going to support in the state of origin uh, this week? And he, it was, oh, rugby league. I mean, it was, oh, <laughs> bogan is what he meant, you know. And, and, and here's the thing. We can joke about it, but actually, as, as a wide variety of people, whether it's by social background or race or culture, no favoritism, welcome one another like Christ, as we've been studying in Romans. No favoritism. The issue is something we need to be wary of. And therefore, again, in the advance of Jesus' kingdom through the church, division cannot be avoided, but it cannot be left unaddressed. And that is our second point that in the advance of the kingdom through the church, distraction must be avoided. Division can't be avoided, but distraction must be avoided. And the distraction is the distraction from the focus on the word and prayer. Look with me to verse 2, please. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The word has been advancing, and it has been advancing through the preaching and teaching of the apostles. In the verse just gone, you can see that. Verse 42 of the previous passage, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the king, is this man, Jesus. The word of God is about the risen Lord Jesus, who is Lord and Savior. But it is no ordinary word, as we heard so helpfully from Jeremiah. It's a word that goes out and achieves God's purposes. Look at this gathering. God is doing his work. It's a word which is so powerful, it changes people for eternity. It's a word that is so healthy, it gives us life. Psalm 1, like a tree planted by streams of water. It is beautiful to see. When somebody is captured by Christ and their life is changed so dramatically. This word is an extraordinary supernatural word. It is a simple word about the plan of God from the Old Testament scriptures to appoint a man to be the ruler of a new world. To be the judge of the living and the dead as we just sang. To put all things right one day. But in the meantime, before he returns, to give amnesty to anyone who will turn back to repent. 
And as they do that, by hearing that word, full forgiveness of all of their sins, past, present, and future, if this morning you have done that, all of your sins wiped away. Not just that, the Spirit of God entering into your heart and making you a new creation and drawing you into this beautiful fellowship that is in stark and wonderful contrast to the world, where the widows are cared for, where the weak are loved. There is power in the Word of God. Such an encouragement for a preacher like me. Just preach the Word, just unleash the Word, and it will do its work organically, like a healthy virus, like kefir. And notice, though, that the distraction is not towards something which is bad. It's good to care for widows. And if the apostles were feeling nice, you can imagine that they they wanted to give themselves to that, but they couldn't. It wasn't that they were above it. You can imagine some of the snide remarks, I think you're above serving on tables, do you, Peter? Hmm. And that's not the point. The point is about the right distribution of the gifts and the resources to ensure that the widows are cared for, but to ensure that the word of God keeps on being taught and prayer is made. And it is so easy, can I tell you from personal experience, to be distracted. And for the health of our church, it is very important that those who are given that responsibility are not distracted. And it has happened time and time again. The history of the 20th century is the history of gospel movements that have gone in a different direction. Not a bad direction, but a different direction. Think of the salvos, the salvation army. What do you think they began doing? What do you think their original focus was? It was the preaching of the word of God. But now the salvos, by and large, are about clothing and food. Good things, but a distraction from the thing. And the issue is it's so easy to be distracted because these are good and obvious things. Everyone will pat you on the back if you're focused on those things. But nobody will commend you for preaching the gospel. But the thing is, you can see somebody clothed and with a full belly, but you cannot see into the soul of a man or a woman as they face eternity apart from God, as they walk headlong to hell. And it is only the word of God that grabs somebody's soul and turns them back to Christ for forgiveness that has that kind of power. We must not be distracted. In the advance of the kingdom of Jesus through the church, distraction must be avoided. I heard this quote in my study, and it's very helpful. The church without growth and the centrality of the gospel of Jesus as Lord at its core is no church at all, but a mere social gathering. We're not just a social gathering. And so do pray for those who have that responsibility. I covet and I'm so grateful. I know people do pray. Thank you. Pray for those who are responsible for leading Bible study. I'm so grateful to each of you who do that. And do help them by doing things to give them the time to focus on that important task. I'm so excited about what is happening in our Bible study groups in our CDG hubs. We've got more starting next year. We've got a Monday morning men's 
Tuesday mid-morning women's, Wednesday mid-morning mixed, Wednesday evening, we're starting a Friday evening. It's not going to be possible for everybody, but it is so exciting to see the Word of God being unleashed. Hearing Nick Doherty say how it was just by studying the Scriptures that he came forward for the MTS. We didn't ask him. The Word of God working in power. Forty new people joining this last year, not because of us, but because of this careful focus on the powerful Word of God. And notice who it converts in verse 7. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Is that not extraordinary? The very priests who were persecuting the church. Think of the most anti-Christian public figure in our society today. I won't name them. Unfair. But that person captured by the word of God and turned around to join the fellowship of God's people. Think of Paul himself, the persecutor. This word is so extraordinarily divine that it is able to do the humanly impossible. In the advance of the kingdom of Jesus through the church, division cannot be avoided. Distraction, however, must be avoided. And how is this practically the case? Well, it's there in verse 3. Direction from the leadership of the church cannot be avoided. Direction cannot be be avoided. Look with me to verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint, that is the apostles, appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, and so on and so forth. They laid their hands on them to appoint them for that task. The response to the crisis of practical care is not to neglect it, but to use the gifts of the body appropriately to choose these seven men to be in charge of the practical service of the tables for the widows, for Christian care. And do you notice the characteristics? It's not just random, you know, Joe blogs, he'll do. Bill, he's a nice guy. No, 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 they are full of the spirit. That is, they are Christian, they're godly. They think and believe the things of the Spirit, that Jesus is the Lord. They've turned their lives to follow. Not perfect, but they're full of the Spirit. Criteria number one for any ministry in the church of God, full of the Spirit. But also, did you see, full of wisdom. That is actually competent. (laughs) People who are able to do those things. Often those who have got those gifts from the world... But when Christian have those gifts captured for service in the church. And it is very dull, very ordinary, very mundane, but absolutely vital for the advance of the kingdom of Jesus. Direction cannot be avoided. In this regard, I'm so grateful to Luke. He doesn't know I was going to say this, but Luke, who works alongside me and does so much of the organizing of our church life together. And it is, I mean, he likes it. He's an engineer, but, but it is so important that we organize ourselves in such a way that enables the focus on the word. I'm so grateful that you have been so generous in enabling Veronica to be part of our team. What a blessing she has been but it is through the organization of our church family life together that that enables such a thing. 
a few observations to make on this point about the necessity of direction. That is that Christian care matters. They don't neglect the widows. Why is that the case? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You'll be a light on the hill. You will be those who fulfill the law through love. This community, and increasingly, as our society runs away from the heritage of Christianity and its goodness, will be a stark contrast to the brutal world around. At the 8 a.m., we have a number of widows and widowers. It's a very live issue, and it is vital that we organize ourselves to care for them. I'm so grateful that Veronica will be able next year to begin to develop Christian care amongst us. It already happens in the small groups, for which I'm so very, very grateful in wonderful ways. Thank you but also for those who slip through the gaps, those who are unknown, those who need particular care, Christian care as an organized thing by our church family for this purpose, that we won't miss those who are weak and vulnerable. Vital. Christian care matters. And thirdly, as we said, who you select for jobs really does matter. These people were first rate. Stephen is going to be the first martyr. He was perfectly good at preaching, But actually, they gave him to that responsibility. It was so important. Philip, in chapter 8, becomes an evangelist out in Samaria. But absolutely vital to choose people full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, for this very important task. And again, it's a chance to thank people this morning, because I don't often do it. We don't have much of a chance to do it. They do work in the background. But our parish council, and our wardens in particular, do so much work for us. Anything good that happens here, I can assure you, is because they're taking care of that so that others can take care of the ministry of the Word of God. Our wardens, John McLeod, Ken Chapman, Ewan Crouch, and our treasurer, Jeff Barnum. I'm so grateful to them. They are men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We're actually looking for another. After 14 years, John is finally stepping down. I kept him for an extra year, but I think he's finally going to escape. Do pray for us as we find another person from amongst us, that this would be a brother who is full of the Spirit, who is full of wisdom. And so we come to a close. The advance of the kingdom of Jesus, it is like kefir. It cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. Jesus is reigning. And he's capturing souls for heaven, one after another, by his living word, as his people depend on him in prayer. But that does not mean every individual church. And here is the challenge for us. I take it we want to be part of this exciting mission. Verse 7, the word of God continuing to increase the number of disciples multiplying greatly and a great many of the hardest in our society being obedient to Jesus. How will that happen? First, recognizing division cannot be avoided. It will happen. But secondly, distraction must be avoided. A focus on the word and prayer. How does that happen? It's very mundane. But direction that must be done so that we organize ourselves in such a way that all together we are holding out this word of life that gives life 
to the desperately needy world around us. Why don't we pray that the Lord would enable us to do that very thing. And the word of God continued to increase. We thank you, our Father, that you give into our hands this word about your Son, which is a word from heaven, a word which changes eternities, a word which is so powerful it can grasp grasp the most unlikely people and change their eternal future. And we pray that you would use us. We dare to pray mightily, Lord, in our time. And we pray that you would help us to have this focus on your word and prayer, that we might be involved in your great mission. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.